frequent better homes and dungeons. Again, I'm not doing a stupid BDSM pun. Isn't that good? It's, it sounds like a good idea. I think that might be a, be- a good idea. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've, I think I've gotten away from it now. I, I kind of just got sick of having that search history on my phone or my work laptop. <laughs> like, yeah, that's um, it's going to lead to questions I just don't want to answer. I think that's that. That seems a that seems uh, that seems a very reasonable choice. I think. I I think yeah, and and besides, you know, there's there's always that I guess period of like, okay, it's time to grow up a little bit, and and move on. Um, and speaking of moving on, we should definitely move on to an introduction. And I'm bad at these. Um, and so my friend, uh, who are you, and and what do you do? Hi, Josh. Uh, my name is Ben McFarlane. I am a rpg hobby lancer writer designer um i've run playtesting i coordinate uh games for folks at gen con i uh i do a i i also have a day job so you know but but for fun i like to i like to make nerdy elf game stuff cool now um you are involved uh you you said hobby lancing um, yes. As far as you told me, you are invested in the Tome of Beasts. Sorry, in Cobalt Press, rather. I I am actually. I've uh, I do a lot of freelancing. Um, I call it hobby lancing because I have a day job, and and it is not how I make my mac and cheese. Um, so yes, I freelanced with Cobalt Press ever since they were Open Design um, back in two thousand five. Wow, set set the wayback machine. Um, I joined on with them when they did open design projects and got my very first freelancing job with them um, and have been doing playtesting with them since the Empire of the Ghouls in 2005. Didn't they redo uh, that one recently? They absolutely did. I really uh, wanted to buy that one, but I looked at it and I'm like, I'm never going to play this. I just won't have time. It's uh, it's fantastic. It's I actually, we did continuity and I ran playtesting for Empire of the Ghouls. Um, and it is, it is, uh, going to be a pretty fun adventure path for 5e. It's new material, actually. It's not the, it's not just a, uh, uh, it's not just conversion. There is some converted material, but it is brand new material. That backer kit actually closes on the 21st of February. So, you know, sneaking in opportunities exist. So yes. So I started way back in 2005 with Cobalt Press with the Empire of the Ghouls, patron project and that was kickstarter before kickstarter happened um he used to basically give it a month because that's how long you could get payments from paypal before you had to refund them Um, (laughs) and so we would have a month to hit our green light funding for a project Mm -hmm. and if we did then we basically worked on the it was like going to a renaissance festival and watching the guy working at his booth except you could watch and you know he would show us bits that he'd worked on or we'd all get to you know brainstorm or comment together and uh and i've gosh from that we did uh, i want to say like eight or nine projects there at least eight That's or pretty nine good. yeah uh all the way up until we jumped over to kickstarter for uh midgard tales over the course of that i have i've led two or three projects with them. I went from being a, a, a patron and a play tester to a contributor to uh, leading a project to acting as a designer for a couple of projects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
and and the whole time it's it's freelance. It's not even Wolfgang's full time job. So which is that, I always that, find that says a lot. Like he's he's the head of Cobalt, if I recall. He is. He is. He used to be the editor of Dragon Magazine long ago and far away. And then uh, when they moved from uh, TSR to Wizards of the Coast, he got another job. And he's been kind of freelancing in the background ever since. Good man. And uh, so, you, you so also yes. did some of the writing on the uh, on the Margrave, if I recall correctly, as well. Abs- absolutely. That was like our third or fourth project. Mm-hmm. I wrote Grandmother's Fire. Um, that was also a great project. Um, it was very much an ensemble project because uh, Tim and Eileen Connors uh, were running it as head designers. Mm-hmm. And then we all pitched these adventures and then we all pitched um, like magical items and spells and the elements of the Margrave forest itself. And we built this just this setting anthology book. It was like a whole package deal. It actually really informed how I then went and did uh, – Streets of Zobek, which is the the project came after that. But yeah, I, I worked on Tales of Margaret. It's one of my favorite adventures, actually. It's called Grandmother's Fire, uh, Grandmother's Fire, um, which is one of the few cobalt mm, adventures I think that actually involves Baba Yaga. Oh, oh so. Baba Yaga! Uh, my wife would correct yes. me. Yep, probably me too. That is, I you can tell I, I have the uh, I have the curse of only ever reading a word. <laughs> so well, um, I, I had never heard so yeah ba- Baba Yaga's hut was actually back in uh, second edition it sure was yeah. uh, it was in second and in first was it in it first? Was in the, it is in the back of the old DMG I believe as an artifact that you can roll up oh so it is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I I I remember that book. That was the one with the uh, the big sitting devil statue guy, wasn't it? No, that is. Um, it depends on the version you have. Okay. The first edition has the Ifrit on the front, uh, standing uh, up, wizard w- casting a spell at him. Yes, yes, that, yes. yes, that is. I had that book years ago. And then the second second one has, uh, or the second print of it has the man in the wizard's robes opening the doors. Okay. That was my. I got one of the of the Ifrit. I have uh, the, my first one though was the was the brown one with the wizard. Yeah, I, I had the Ifrit. So, <laughs> so. I there. It's a fantastic. That book is, that book is equal parts beautiful and terrible. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. I, I think it gives that away on the cover. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, this would absolutely. not stand up now, and that's look. It's good that the hobby changes. I'm okay with that. Absolutely absolutely that is i i am a big fan of um because i i do i do a little like design group type project um that is similar to the way open design used to be but i run it now called design camp and one of the things that i'll say on there and anybody who designs with me for any period of time will hear me uh, say it and that is just because the big guys do something wrong doesn't mean we have to um I I am I'm a big fan of of no sacred cows. Let's take everything apart. Let's make everything better if we can. They, they do make yeah. great hamburgers. They do. They're delicious. They're delicious <laughs> and and you know a fine coat. 
or jacket, as your case may be. Uh, no, we, we do have the word coat down here. And, and um, I do have an amazingly cool long black leather cloak, a cape, a coat, shit. Um, <laughs> which the only thing I dislike about living in Australia is I can't wear essentially my black leather cowboy hat, my big ass coat and my big ass boots all the time because it's just too damn hot and I would cook like an idiot. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, ben, can I, can I ask uh, you, favorites, yes. favorite and mo- almost controversial sacred cow you've killed? Oh. I know. I will murder the magic system every day and twice on Sundays. All right. I will take apart a magic system without blinking because honestly, better than I, I feel better the best magic system that is in rpg design without and i'll fight anybody to the death on okay. this one with a broken everyone please add broken, ben mcfarland <laughs> with a broken pool cue bring it i'll i'll go down i'll go down spitting and fighting the best magic system hands down in rpg design is ours magica fifth edition i will have to look that up it is i can create any spell you would like uh spontaneously or formulaically in about two minutes. I know precisely what my magical limits are within that system. I know what the laws are. I know when I'm stepping outside the laws of magic to make non-hermetic magic. Um, I can I can tell you how long it would take to invent that spell based on your character. It's a great system. It is very crunchy. It is full of fiddly bits, but it is... It, that is, they're, they're that the good is perhaps kind of fiddly bits. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I will confess, I, yes. I see nothing wrong with fifth heads with the fifth head spell system. There are some spells that I see as being. Uh, I don't know if y'all really thought that one through. I Dan would Dan Dillon is a friend of mine. He would. T- I think he has always said he hates witch bolt. So, not one not the spell I would think about as far as like, did y'all think that one through? Like sleep, I find to be interesting because it's like, <sighs> it seems to be this one spell out of like the book that just seems to be like, okay, for all these other spells, we seem to have some kind of formula, but this one we're going to piss around with. Yeah, it's tough when you're dealing with legacy stuff too, because mm-hmm. I mean, sleep's been around for forever. And that's, that is a... That is a tough. I will say the one thing about 5th edition that I've really enjoyed um, their growth in is that uh, the ability for all the... St- well, not all of the spells. For many spells to scale with level. Mm-hmm. You know, that I can go and, and take them and, and bump them up via spell slot. Um, you know, I can I can play with how my, my spells go... Um, and that is that is something I really enjoy. I mean, I so yeah, no, but no, definitely I, I, magic I, I, system. Look, I, I think the, that's a good fight to pick. That is that is the first and and I mean every system I take a look at the first thing I go to is what's the magic system like and let's start let's start taking it apart. I I think the the one I would fight and kill for is um the 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 racial bonus system in fifth ed is something oh, yeah. I would very happily love to see pushed into a river. Wait, that is wait, a fair let, let assessment. Me stop, let me stop. In, in Australia, that means, you know, just pushing it into the ground at the moment. Um, sure. 
on a boat and out of the harbour. Because I, and, and when I read um, James Hake, he wrote something for D&D Beyond, which was all about, look, it's your background in the class. That defines your stats. And I thought, yeah. Uh, yes, this works. This is great. And it's it's been a matter of discussion for several editions now. In fact, it was a big it was a big point when they talked about design in fourth edition where they said, look, this is one of the major choices that you make very early in your character career. Right. In your Mm. matter of character creation. And then it doesn't do anything beyond, you, you know, you set this up and it gives you a couple of initial benefits and then you tend to just forget about it. And fourth edition, I recall, they tried to make it so there were class points that, you know, different points your race would end to it. I think there's a large push to eliminate, um, you know, in terms of because we don't let's there's there's definite school of interpretation says your racial choice can often be coding for ethnic uh, like a real world ethnic yeah. uh, grouping. Yeah, like which all, all is goblins co- tend to get. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's a very reasonable reading of it. Um, I, I find, you know, depending on setting, it can be valid. It can be invalid. There's a lot of contextual. Uh, there's a lot of contextual element to it. Right. It depends on that setting. Clearly, it's not the same, say, in Tolkien as it is, you know, in maybe a stock D&D just because of the mythology he's built with it mm. primarily. Right. Um and it, it, I think taking it to an ancestry, to a, a choice where you're, you're building your benefits with your racial, your background choice, your heritage, your ancestry, however you want to set it up. I think that's a great choice. Mm. Um, I, I honestly, I'm one of the people who always plays humans. Um, you know, okay. uh, I, I, I tend to stick with humans. I am a human, and therefore I, I like that. I mean, I know it's that's I'm a boring guy in that sense, um, but there's just so much I can explore with being a person. So I I, I tend to stick with, it, but I would I would say that is that is also a uh, a very reasonable choice to go go take to the woodshed. Yeah, no, no, I I think it, because I mean you look at it and there are groups out there and I'm, I'm part of a a few groups and it's kind of like, Oh, look, if it's not about being, you know, like optimal, optimal, but it's, it's about being like functional, optimal. Sure. And it's like, okay, I want to have a, um, an orc wizard who's got a a negative on the, on their intellect. And it's like, yeah, but okay. That's funny. Once it's good. The first like three sessions, where are you going to be nine sessions in when I, I had somebody, we, so I, I cut my teeth a hojillion years ago, and I have played through every edition of Dungeons and Dragons since. And I'll never forget one of my I, my wife might argue that, but <laughs> carrying carrying on that aside. Um, but I do recall, like I played a long three point five campaign, and in that we had a paladin of Anubis with a. 12 constitution right and he was supposed to be this peasant guy who you know had found a divine calling and became a paladin and away he went and the guy who wanted to play him you know he 
he uh, he's one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. I still play with him in games regularly to this day. But and he he hated it that we'd call him his glass jaw paladin, right? Because what had meant to be like this starting background point of a peasant who wasn't, you know, wasn't immensely healthy in hale because he hadn't been the best fed guy in a in a horrible country, you know. So that's how he played his twelve charisma that he had rolled, you know, because that GM liked it if we rolled all of our stats. And um, yeah. that, that, that's another thing that I'm happy to happy to see the back of is like, all right, roll awesome. all your stats. And it's like, oh, I'm going to roll a bunch of fours and sevens. That's going to be my character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have embraced point by. Yeah. I definitely have embraced point by. I usually have a point by, I would say, array that is kind of my default. I know where I, at least for D&D, mm. I know where I like my weak points. Um. Which is a terrible thing, I think, sometimes, because I'm willing to be like, oh, yeah, no, I'll walk on my dexterity. This is not, you know, I'm playing a cleric. Yeah, no, toast that dexterity. Just 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 let it go, you know. But I'm also awful about wanting my skills. So I at least for three five, I would be like, oh, no, I've got to have at least a 14 intelligence. Like I couldn't I could not give up those extra skill points. I'm awful that way. I I, no, that, I mean that's like playing um Fallout uh two or three um or Vegas or whatever where it's like the more intelligence point like you didn't need certain things like you know perception sure any that but intelligence is like every level <laughs> I get a certain amount of skill points and and allocating them means my character is more awesome so you know maxing out the intelligence makes a lot of sense and and that was also why I was like human what do you do with your extra human. I was like, oh, skill point all the way. Absolutely. How, where do I get all my skills? And then synergies. Oh, now we're in the soup. I, 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 I get the feeling, Ben, that you love the variant human thing. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. I go, <laughs> I, go straight, I go straight to the variant human. Yes. And you've, you've, you've caught me. <laughs> no, no, no. Because, I mean, it's a great way to make a skill monkey. You know, and it's not even that I want to do a skill monkey so that I can be like, you know – where it's like I've got a, a whole ton of skills. It's like I want things like the knowledges, mm-hmm. right? I want the knowledges. I want, um, you know, history. I want to be able to do alchemy. I want I want all the kind of like – because I want to make a wizard, right? Because generally, again, I fall straight into the wizard trap. It's like they just hand me a H- wizard. Hence, the, hence the, uh, the, the magic system thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so uh, – yeah, so I, I need my skills. Yes. I know someone <laughs> just like you, my friend. I play with him. He's great. It's, it's you know, it's my weakness. So, so yes. But, uh, but yes, I, I, I will take apart every system, you know, that I can find. And that's, that is actually one of the things that drives me crazy about 5th edition as well, though. I mean, as much as I like the little bits of it, is that they have bolted that hood back on nice and tight um so that designing for it is is very much a black art once again so it's uh in, in a good it's way. very ah uh, you know mm, i'm torn i'm very torn okay it's very loosey-goosey right there's mm-hmm. a lot of does this feel right but after so many years of being able to you know turn the crank and see the numbers and be able to say, okay, that's that's reproducible. That looks good. 
you know, being able, you could, you could play test better. It's tough. I'm torn. Yeah. I know we're only, I know we're like five years into this point, but, uh, I'm still torn as to whether or not I feel bolting the hood back down was a, was a good plan or not. Time will tell. I guess, I guess we'll see what they do with six edition. Oh, you bite your tongue. It's too early for sixth edition. No way. We historically we have gotten anywhere from I think it's <clears throat> pardon me, seven and a half to ten years between editions. There's one that's like there's one that's like six ish, and there's one that's like twelve ish, but it's like the average is around eight to ten between editions. Don't say sixth edition. Okay. It's too soon. Okay. It's too soon. Okay. I, I, I don't attempt uh, Hasbro, I guess, with um the idea of us all having to rebuy a bunch of books. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like you say it so they're going to do it. That's painful. Why don't you just set it up? <laughs> Start talking about how much they'll make, how much they'll make off a whole new set of core books. Uh, You're killing me, man. Yeah, I'm You're sorry, killing dude. me. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up now. I'll, I'll, I'll ask questions. How does that, that sound? Questions sound lovely. Excellent. Um, James McCloy, um, his, his question is, uh, he, he wants to know if he could get you to finish the last 50 pages of his module. Um, his other question is... Uh, that's a lot of words. Yeah, I, I figured you know, that, that's probably a bit much. Um, but uh, how do you keep organized? So I... Uh, well, for one, James, if you're really wanting to work, uh, you know, shoot me a note. I'm more than happy to riff with you anytime. I love riffing. So... Uh, feel free to reach out and we can, we can chat. I may not be able to write 50 pages, but I'm more than willing to help out. That sounds fair. Pardon me. Uh, as far as staying organized, I tend to work, um, with a moleskin. I don't use a bullet journal format cause it's a little too much. And I, cause I do a lot of brainstorming, but like I even have one right in front of me right now. Um, I tend to make like a list, uh, for the week of things that I know I need to get done this week. Um, so then I kind of flip back, you know, that's where I put the bookmark for that week. And then any kind of brainstorming or riffing or notes that I'm taking or ideas that come in, they come in the pages after that. And then at the end of the week, you know, Sunday, I flip to the next, you know, blank page. I copy forward anything that didn't make it into my list and I move the bookmark and I function out of moleskins. Um, it's the easiest gift my wife loves. She just, she's like, is it time for a new moleskin yet? I tend to go through them about, uh, I get the bigger ones that are kind of, I guess, like five inches by eight inches kind of thing. So what is that? It's like 25 centimeters by, no, it's like 10 centimeters by, no, like 12 and a half. Math is hard. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Two points. Yeah, uh, it's, it's so five is it's two point five. Uh, it's like twelve and a half centimeters by by uh, like twenty something centimeters, right? So that that size one is about what I have and I carry around with me pretty much all the time. Can, can I just say um, it's somewhat heartwarming to hear an American use metric uh, measurements? I I I try to be considerate of my audience. Um, I actually worked on many projects with like three or four authors from Australia and United Kingdom. Oh, cool. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I've heard um, Empty Black or, or Merrick, I think his name is. Uh, they, they do a lot of stuff. Timothy Ferguson 
is uh, one of the most prolific Ars Magica authors uh, out there. He has something like 40 books between 4th edition and 5th edition for Ars Magica. That man is an absolute machine. He, uh, I've seen him crank out 10,000 words in like three days. Um, he is a, I think, head librarian at the Gold Coast. Oh. He has a, he has a uh, head librarian for something. I don't recall what, but over on Gold Coast, I believe. Um, he has a podcast slash blog, which I think is Games from Folktales. Timothy is a wonderful individual. He was an excellent mentor for me when I started writing for Ars Magica. Like my second set of freelancing outside of Cobalt Press, which was very much a kind of throw you the work and watch him and do what you need. But when I started working at Ars Magica or for Atlas Games and Ars Magica, it was working in groups. Mm. You know, we get assigned a, a team of, of, you know, three to four or five of us and given a project. And Timothy is an excellent mentor. He's uh, he's from uh, he's from Australia, so I'm I'm used to dealing with folks in the metric system. Very cool, <laughs> and thank you. Um, You're welcome. Excellent. So um, uh, an another question is from my buddy Jacob. Um, he plays with me on a weekly basis. Uh, he's really cool lad. Um, uh, when working as a freelancer, how do you collaborate with others on larger projects? Oh, and uh, so, I want to point out uh, what I know about Jacob is he's been he's actually involved in like a group uni assignment at the moment. So um, okay, a anything to help out with this? Absolutely. So I would say my experience with that goes all the way back to my own time at university. I uh, went to the University of Colorado Boulder, and your senior year in the computer science project or computer science program there, they uh, they take a group of four of you, somewhat randomly. Uh, they throw you to a local uh, computer company mm -hmm. and they say, these four students are going to write you a piece of software. Uh, please don't make it too hard. If they don't finish it, they don't graduate. So my senior year was basically the four of us um, getting a project and, and from project description to final, final product designing it. Um, I think working in group projects Individual scope and responsibility is essential. Knowing who is responsible for what sections, what parts, um, distinct deadlines. Um, those aren't not as, <coughs> pardon me, not as, uh, I don't use those as much as writing now. Now I do a lot of, of group writing projects. Um, but, but, you know, that was for university projects. It was distinct scope, distinct responsibilities, distinct deadlines. And then regular meetings to keep everybody honest with each other. Because um, it's tougher when, you know, you've got a regular meeting to be like, no, I'm not there yet. When you've got to tell three people to their faces over coffee, no, I'm, I'm not done yet. Um, and everybody's grade depends on it together. That helps. But for group projects um, now, <coughs> pardon me, I tend to... Uh, work off of a shared document. Um, same kind of thing where we assign out specific sessions. Like we'll brainstorm together mm -hmm. on things. Um, once we all have the same shared image, uh, you know, of how the project will flow, what our outline is together, then we assign specific sections. I really like Google Docs for this because we can uh, edit the project or, you know, we can write in projects 
simultaneously. Like I can sit and, and do that. I worked on Southlands with Brian Seskind. I worked on a different Cobalt Press project with Brian and two other folks. Uh, and we are all in the same document simultaneously. Um, really that, that key part that comes with it is having an initial, uh, an initial shared vision that everybody's on board with. Uh, I had one project for Paizo that I did for Pathfinder first edition, uh, peril, uh, what was it? Peril and plunder, um, where they needed an adventure in pretty short order and their adventures tend to be about 30,000 ish words. Um, which are divided up between like three 8,000 adventure sections and a 6,000 word kind of gazetteer overview portion. And I took the gazetteer portion, mm -hmm. but all of the other authors in that project, none of them had had any experience with doing a group project. And we, you know, at that point I'd done like three Ars Magica books which were on par, usually about 120,000 words divided up between four of us. Mm. And so the same thing, you, you do your initial outline of word count. And I always start with an outline of word count for a writing project and break it down into how many words per section. Um, and then, you know, but I took it to these guys. I'm like, all right, well, here's our storyline. And then let's, let's, you know, cause none of them had had any real experience in doing it. So they were all kind of like, well, how do we do this? And I want to, write this part and I want to do this part. I was like, all right, well, let's stop and let's start with our storyline. Right. And let's, let's bust up our storyline and then figure out where our logical divisions are in our storyline. And then realize that we've each got 8,000 words to do that. And I'm happy to help, you know, with some of the side stuff as I can. And I'll make sure that there's any shared material that I can put in the gazetteer that you can all utilize together without having to, to take up your 8,000 words to, to do that. Um, Really shared vision is the key to a larger group project, in my opinion. Hmm. No, I, I did, I, did uh, I did one group assignment at uni, and um, I made the mistake of asking in our first chat, so who wants to be the group leader? And it's like, the idiot who just asked. <laughs> yeah, no, never. It's, you know, and that's, I think it's been very nice. Most of the projects... Um, in almost every project, it was de facto the editor. We were fortunate enough to have an editor who was very clearly our benevolent dictator. So if ever there were a question, if ever there were a confusion, we could de defer to that editor and be like, okay, we don't know about X or Y. Please be our tiebreaker. So, so he, he was more a, a, a guy as Julius Caesar rather than a Tiberius. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry, I've been listening to the that, History of Rome podcast recently, and uh, you know that's infected my thinking. You know, if you get a shot, I would also say uh, listen to the Hardcore History uh, series on. Oh, okay, all right. Well, then I you. Did. And uh, I am a I am a Roman. I am a fan of Roman history. Have you read? I have a, actually. Have you read the Masters of Rome series by Colleen McCulloch? I have not yet. Sir, I, uh, you're missing out. I, so that's the problem is a lot of my nonfiction reading and really most of my reading for the last probably seven or eight years has been derived from my written projects. So I that's have uh, I have three shelves of African history and culture. I have uh, that's cool. three... Like, 
two and a half shelves of uh, Southeast Asian history and culture. Um, for those listening, that may give a hint on things that have been turned over but are not yet out in the world. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm waiting for Cobalt <laughs> to bring out essentially, um, like say, uh, like a feudal Japanese or s- s- some really no, interesting no, settings. No, I can I can firmly say that we're not going there. I can say that. Ooh. Okay. Other places, maybe. Right. Other places, perhaps. Okay. The cover. The cover looks really sweet. I, I, would, I, would, I would actually actually one thing. One thing I would love to see at some point. Uh, I, I would very very much like to see an indigenous Australian peoples. Um, oh, thing. that is. That would be you know because there's some really interesting stuff in there. There really is. In fact, I remember reading an article. Um, about about the uh, indigenous folks of, of Australia who had an oral tradition about uh, a, a, about I think it was a, a, a group or a person who basically had brought trees to a certain part of Australia like they had they the story goes that this that if I and I'm probably misremembering part of this i'm paraphrasing but i remember there was this oral tradition about somebody bringing trees to a certain part of the country right and when they went and tested some of the palm trees i think in that area it was discovered that they were genetically you know clearly descended from these trees in a different part of the country almost you know, like it was very extremely clear their genetic relation was was undeniable. But the distance between the two points was so immense. The only thing that described it, right, was this indigenous oral history uh, of this tale of them bringing the, the palm, I want to say they were palm trees of a certain kind, to this area. And I thought that is just absolutely amazing. Such a testament you know, to that sustained tradition of storytelling. It was amazing. Mm. No, I remember, um, like, say, reading about um, that there are similar things, like, say, Stonehenge, um, <laughs> where it's like, this stone is nowhere near here. We have no idea why they trucked it from where oh, we yeah. find the stone to here. And oh, yeah, the blue stones. Yeah, the blue yeah. stones that make the inner the inner roll yeah. or the inner ring at, at, uh, at Stonehenge are something like several several hundred kilometers away in wales yeah like there's no easy path to bring those stones to where they are on salisbury plain yeah, yeah no aliens that's, that's no, it's the same thing <laughs> <laughs> i think the the medieval myth was that merlin brought them with magic well any any um what is it that oh what's his name said any sufficient asimov yes thank yes you. any any sufficiently advanced technology is in in distinguishable uh, in thank you words are hard yes indistinguishable (laughs) from magic occasionally people give me words or money for words it's it's not clear why yet yeah they're good words um now now on the cobalt stuff uh this is a project that i'm i I have backed and i realized there are uh 44 hours to go in the current oh tome God. of beasts, and that's been that's gone pretty good. It has. It's amazing, actually, the number of backers. Yeah, I uh, I was speaking to um, uh, James Intercaso uh, 
little, a, little, a wee while ago now. And uh, I said, oh, was it Tome of Beast or Creature Codex that had uh, the robot dragon in it? And he's like, oh, and I think he said Tome of Beasts. It was the Clockwork Dragon. That was one of mine. I exploded. I'm like, oh, my God, I love that thing. It's, it's, the, it's the coolest thing ever. And I had a, I had a moment. Um, <laughs> now, as far as I recall, uh, I think you, you, you are involved with, with, with this one, Playtest Coordinator. I, I have. I am. Uh, I was. I've actually been the playtest coordinator for the for Tomo Beasts and Creature Codex, and now I'll be the playtest coordinator for this as well. I also helped uh, select the backer entries for both Tomo Beast and Creature Codex. Okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, we we all get in there and we vote and we we select the best ones. This time I'm going to try and sneak one in. Um, I backed at it. I have an idea. The last couple I've been busy when they, it's time to turn in backer entries. And so I've been like, well, I'm busy and I'm doing play testing. So I don't need to submit one. But this one I have an idea. So I'm going to toss it in there anonymously and see if I can get it into the wire. But uh, yes, I, I, I have be... an idea for something, but I, I don't want to say it publicly. Ooh. You know, I, that's you got to be careful. You know, people say never, you know, nobody wants your game ideas. But when it's something like submitting a monster idea. There's somebody will take your monster idea. They may they may not steal your adventure or your game idea, but yeah, but, but somebody that's will scoop your, your monster idea. Yes, yeah, keep it cool. Yeah, the, the, I, I I can confirm it does not have a pun in its name. So a lot of people who know me, oh like, Josh, no, is it even you. Please don't make a pun name. All oh, those drive me bonkers. But I, you know what? It is a weakness that I acknowledge. I cannot stand goofy in my games. It drives me berserk. Okay, but then again, my table that I've been running 5th edition Southlands for three years now. Uh, you know, it has a druid who has a animal friend that is a tiny pterodactyl named Hillary Swark. So, I'm, I, you know, I, I can't get away from it. So there it is. But I, I realize that the druid that has to ruin it, isn't it? It, it really is. Looking you at know? you, Heath. And I, I realize I don't always dig the goofy or the silly in games, but I also realize there are folks out there who do. So whenever I see it, my first impulse is to be like, kill it with fire. Um, <laughs> and then I pause and I say, okay, wait, there are people and this is their game, right? And they dig the goofy. So I got to stop at it and I say, okay, objectively, let's I, I, imagine I have that to I kind do. of confess the, uh, the Margrave game that I'm running at the moment, um, which is going on to an actual yes. play thing that we've been doing for a while. Um, I listened to one of the sessions. It was a fun game. Oh, oh wow! Sorry, sorry. I'm I'm now struck dumb. Uh, which one, if I may ask? Uh, eighteen, I think. Episode eighteen. I had it up the other day. I was listening to it while I was at work, and I was I was entertained. I did. Well, that that that, that was the goal. Um, we we kind of went into that one, and I was like, okay, guys, we're going to play this a bit more serious. You know, this is going to be a bit crunchier. This is a bit of a dangerous place. And I think it was about sure. 10 minutes in and the person who knows they started to go off the, the serious thing knows who they are. He, <laughs> and everyone started rolling with it. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to try and corral this. That's, that's not what the dungeon master is there to do. I'll yeah, work no, with it. I know. But the wonderful thing is, guys, the goofier you take it, it's going to be so funny when I turn the tables on you. <laughs> it's, I, I, I approve. Thank you. 
when they complain, I'll say, hey, look, Ben McFarland, he sent me this note. It just says Josh can do what Josh wants in his game. It's his game. Shut up. Yeah, and that's absolutely. (laughs) No, that's the thing. I realize that. It's always been my weakness. It has been my weakness since I started working with open design and we would do open pitch sessions for uh, for adventures and whatnot. And I, I knew I, like there would be a goofy or a joke, you know, fun, a fun adventure pitch. Yeah. And I'd be like, this, this stomps on my verisimilitude. And then, the, you know, somebody else would be like, yeah, but sometimes people just want a, a fun April Fool's Day type adventure. And I'd be like, all right, you're right. And then you got to think about it. And, you know, is this objectively a fun time? All right, then let's roll with it. Okay. Uh, I suspect I might get kicked out of this room soonish. Um, okay. So I, I well, want to ask uh, one very quick question. Yes, and I will be brief. Excellent. If you had to pick a monster as your favorite from oh. Creature Codex, Tome of Foes, and Tome of Foes 2, if, if you're allowed to speak about that last one. I, I actually say, have not gotten the full playtest list yet, okay, so cool. I can't speak so on Tome of Foes. We'll, we'll say Creature Codex and Tome of Foes. One monster, your favorite. Mm. I am going to be super, super grognardy, and I'm going to say the Void Dragon. I just nice. I have a re- I have a really soft spot yeah. for dragons. They're cool. Um, and the Void Dragons are just they're just so out. <laughs> they're out there. Yeah. The Void Dragons are just they they blow expectations. Right? They're not. They're 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 very kind of removed from things they are not what anybody expects a dragon to be and that's what i i really dig are the void dragons and and i admit it's a cheat because i get them from wormling all the way to ancient that's cool and uh sorry ben one very very last question um if you can answer in say two minutes what does ben do to take care of ben i will I will read. I have a comic book box that I go and scoop stuff out of. I absolutely love trees. Warren Ellis, uh, Saga, uh, Paper Girls. Um, I love those bite-sized bits of fiction in there. I also will sneak on to The Division. I have a real soft spot for post-apocalyptic, near-future kind of stuff. And so I'll sneak onto The Division with my friend James. And uh, I will take 45 minutes on a Thursday night. Well, maybe an hour and a half on a Thursday night. And uh, we'll go shoot bad guys in the face. Sounds good. Because that's, that's, that's what I do. Uh, otherwise, I spend a lot of time taking care of my, uh, helping out with my kids' swim team. Cool. Um, ben, thank you very much for your time. Where can Sir? people find you on Twitter? Uh, my pleasure, Josh. Thank you for having me tonight. It's been delightful. Uh, on Twitter, I am brick with an extra K. So that's uh, Bravo, Romeo, India, Charlie, Kilo, Kilo, Brick. Uh, that It's also me on email, too. But don't feel free to drop me a note anytime somebody wants to talk with me. All right, Ben, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure, Josh. Thank you again. Cheers. <laughs>